Hello and welcome to the Scouted Abroad Joint Podcast. We're so glad that you're joining us for this edition. We are here live at PTP, surrounded by people who are talking. If you hear them, it's just the the sound of the crowd and we'll try to talk over them, but we're loving hearing uh, all the people who are talking around us and getting to see all of our friends again after a delay of two years because of COVID. So glad to be back and so glad to be with you for this month's edition of the Joint Podcast. So I'm here with Michael Clark, Bradley Smith, and Chase Green. Good looking guys. We're ready <laughs> to talk to you about the topic, Behold Our God in Creation. Behold Our God in Creation. So guys, let's just dive right in. First question we have, what do we learn about God through the creation. What does the creation teach us about our God? I think it teaches us that he was very concerned with making a good product. It wasn't something that he just hurriedly put together. There's an emphasis placed in multiple verses throughout Genesis 1 and even up to Genesis chapter 2 talking about how everything that was created was good. And it wasn't something that we've all been there before. Daniel, you're in graphic design more than a lot of other people might be at this table. There's been times, I'm sure, where you've sat down after you've created something and looked at it and gone, yeah, I'm never going to show that to anybody. Uh, there's, oh, yeah, there's no way that that's happening. God didn't do that with anything. God never looked at that and said, ah, let's just scrap this. And he you know, kind of proverbially crumpled up the piece of paper and threw it in the can. He basically said after everything he created, it was good. There was only one thing that he said that wasn't good, and that was that man was alone. Mm -hmm. And he started to realize as Adam's naming all these animals, we can we can correct that. And he made something, and Adam didn't say the words, but by how he responded to Eve being presented to him, basically said she is very good. And so all that God had created that he presented, what we learn about God through creation is he wanted to make a product that was not just rushed or put together last minute. He cared for everything that he made. There was a plan. There was a purpose to everything that he did. And there wasn't a single thing that God created that he would later go back and say during the creation process, well, let's just get rid of humans. I think we'll just start over from there. We were made in his own image. So everything that God did was very calculated. And we learn about how much God loves man too, because if God didn't care about man, he wouldn't have minded that he was alone. He would have just said, ah, you're good. You'll figure it out. Yep. Yeah, coming from my background, uh, before I became a preacher, I'm, I got a biology degree. And thinking about the beauty of the physical world that God created, ultimately his pinnacle of his creation being us. And thinking about biological systems, just thinking about the circulatory system and how everything works just right with the heart pumping blood throughout the body. And without that, you don't have the respiratory system because it all works together. And without that, you don't have the nervous system because it all works together. Just everything is so spot on in God's creation. It shows his power. Psalm 139, verse 14, I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. Just looking at the human body and, and I was able to take some anatomy and physiology classes in school and, and you just see how perfectly it works. And we even studied it on the micro level of, you know, hormones and, and different neurotransmitters and things just on the smallest and most minute level, they work just perfectly. And without, you know, without potassium or without um, iron, 
things just fall apart. But yet God knew everything that our body needed to function properly. And um, it's just amazing when you think about the design. And, and I think we might go a little bit towards at some point in this in this episode. I know I've got some notes on it. The predominant theory nowadays is evolution. And there's so many holes in it because uh, we have to understand that looking at the creation, there has to be a, a creator. The bad thing about going after a guy with a biology degree is he says everything you were going to say except much better. Oh, yes. Uh, but far some, better. He far says better. Oh, better. Far better. Yeah, right, better. Go. Yeah. Shameless plug. Uh, but Everybody the, don't listen to Michael's podcast. <laughs> far better. All right, Bible Stormer. Just because of that. Amen, brother. But some of the uh, sessions I've attended thus far at PTP have dealt with cases for the existence of God. And one of the common themes in them is the creation is one of the, the the greatest proofs of the existence of God. And how did everything get here uh, It without a designer? As Chase mentioned, all the different uh, systems of our bodies or the different uh, ecosystems of the planet, it could not have happened by accident. Uh, so it points to the existence of an intelligent designer. I think what we're saying is that creation is finely tuned. Like, like with a guitar, if you pick up yep. a guitar and you try to play it and something sounds off, yeah. if you're a guitar player, you know that something is off here, right? Yeah. And it's, I think it's like that with creation where we see um, constants and quantities in the makeup of the universe. For instance, the cosmological constant has to be so incredibly precise for mm -hmm. life to exist. Yeah, we're, we're in the Goldilocks, the Goldilocks zone, Earth right. is, you yeah. know, if it's just a little bit further, it's too hot or a little bit further is too cold, a little bit closer to the sun is is uh, too hot. Yeah. And, and yet we're perfectly, and the atmosphere is just perfectly where it needs to be. Yeah. It's just, it's an amazing thing to, to think about everything that went into what God did for us. Not gonna lie though, it's this summer, we might've gotten a little too close to yeah, the sun. I, yeah, it I might, think it we might have it. happened. <laughs> Here, here's what's interesting to piggyback off your guitar analogy. The piano, when you think of a grand piano, that is something that you've often gone to a concert maybe and you've seen what looks to be a grand piano, you know, sitting there. And then I finally found out it's not. They put a keyboard that fits perfectly in to the area of the grand piano because the musician who was talking about it said, this looks real, but you have to tune this. And you can't, if, if you had to take this with you to every venue that you were performing, it would be a nightmare to tune it every time. You, you just waste too much money. So you put a keyboard in here that can sound just like it, but it's not the same. Creation, talking about something being finely tuned, it can't be reproduced. And it can't be something that is reproduced unless someone else has the same power as the creator. And God's creation was obviously good because God says, I'm done creating. I'm done creating. On the seventh day, he rested. And he said, that's it. And we don't find any new creations being talked about ever again, other than the idea of being a new creature in Christ where we are made anew. But we've likened that on this season to being more like, hey, you were in an accident, you had surgery, and you went to rehab, and you learned how to walk again. You've been made new through Christ. That's the only type of new creature or new creation you find. There's no other creation that's happened by God, like where God has said, well, 
I probably should have made this on the fifth day and I didn't do that. I know it's been 2,000 something years, but we'll go ahead and we'll make this now. Or I know it's been 6,000 years, but we'll make this now. God said everything was good and I created all that I intended to create. That's impressive. You can tune a piano, but you can't tune a fish. I hate that. Let me go on record as saying that, that I hate that, and I wish it did not happen. Also, I'm so mad that they're all fake, the grand pianos. I know. Yeah, that's I'm very disappointing. personally offended. I never yeah. knew that. Anyway, so we need to move on to our second question. So our second question, guys, why is there, do you think, such a pushback to the notion that everything came from a most high being? The, the big thing, in my opinion, is accountability. It boils down to accountability. If there is a creator, we are accountable to him. Why? Because he's powerful enough to create everything. And he is powerful enough, and we've talked about it on this season, justice. He is just. He's going to punish evil. He's all good. So if he's all good, he cannot bear with and be okay with evil, or else he would not be all good. So he's going to punish evil. Well, if there is such a being, if there is a creator, then it demands that we are accountable to him and when it boils down to it, there are many, many people who just don't want to be accountable to anybody. They, they want to do what they want to do, and uh, no one's going to stand in their way. And so they they choose to not believe in God rather than, than admit that there is a God and then be accountable to him, which they are accountable to him, but in their minds, they try to pretend like they're not. Kind of that out of sight, out of mind. Right. Kind of well, if we can deny the existence of a creation, we can deny the existence of a creator. Right. Well, and we mentioned on a previous episode, you know, if you see the police officer up ahead, you know you have to be held accountable because he's going to probably speed check you. Yep. If you don't see him, unfortunately, a lot of people decide, I don't see the police officer. I don't see anything going on. So I'm just going to go ahead and barrel right through. I'm going to go ahead and do everything that's going on in life and just act as if there's no creator. There's nothing up ahead. There's no need. There's no worries at all. And we can just move on. When you do that with a police officer, you get pulled over there was a creator you can make it your whole life you can probably live a long time without ever being held accountable to anything but you're going to have a problem later on in your life if you're not careful i you know i worry about speculating about the motivations of people you know i think part of truly loving other people is assuming the best about them i think we read about that in first corinthians 13 right love believes all things so I, I really want, want to be careful with something like this, but there's got to be something, right? Yeah. Um, and and we, what we want to do is, while loving them, while be, always believing the best about people, is talk with them in love, share what we, we believe to be the truth in love, and try to work through those barriers. Try to <clears throat> show them that God loves them even when they don't feel lovable, you know? And even if they don't believe in Him, God still loves them and God still wants what's best for them. So even if they do struggle with this and, and you know, in our context, we might have people in our congregations who struggle with doubt. And then we also know that there are, you know, there are atheists in the world, a lot of them. Um, and what we want to do with those people is not necessarily assume something bad about them. We want to love them just like Jesus did us, you know, and died for us even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins and even when we were his enemies. Well, and, you know, there are some diehard atheists that are, you know, they've really got a lot of skin in the game on this. But then yeah. there are countless millions of people who are just misled on this. They they have just been told the lies and they've bought in and they don't know better and they have not studied. I mean, there are so many good resources in the Brotherhood, like Apologetics Press, that 
that do a very fantastic job of explaining the truth of the existence of God. Our job, when you think about 1 Peter 3.15, being ready to give a defense or an apologia of the things that give us hope, um, it's our job to, to teach people these things. And unfortunately, a lot of people have bought into the lies of not believing in God and, and evolution and, and things of this nature. And, and one of the problems that we're seeing now, I think, as the ever-increasing percentage of people are believing this way in, in secular humanism and postmodernism, et cetera, is if you teach people long enough that they're animals, sooner or later, they're going to start acting like animals. Yeah. And, and again, we are accountable to God, but when people don't think that they are accountable to somebody, then it's anyone's ballgame on, on what they're going to do. They're going to do whatever they want, and, and we're seeing that today. Well, let's categorize it three ways then. There's the unknowingly ignorant people. They don't know any better. They've grown up without being exposed to the church. They've not been exposed to an understanding of who God is, what God has done, how God behaves, and how we're expected to behave. And therefore, believing the best of them, I can't blame them for being where they are in life. Right. Then there are the people who they've been exposed to it, and they've rejected it. Yep. They have never believed it. They've never wanted it. They've never had anything to do with it. And that is seen in their actions. And oftentimes when we make the statement, if there's no creator, there's no accountability, we're not talking about the people who are unknowingly ignorant. They're, they're just for no fault of their own, they've never heard about it. That has happened to people. There are people who've gone their whole lives and said, I've never heard this before because I grew up in such a deeply rooted, unchurched area that I just have never heard these things. There are other people out there that they've heard that there's a standard of morality and they just simply choose to reject it. And there's the third group of people who go back and forth, I would say. Those would be what we would probably call Christians. They're the people who believe in God and either they follow him or they choose not to. And when I say the second group, I would include people that are even religious but not following the true word of God because I can't reject certain parts of God's word and say I'm a true Christian. I can't read the law in the New Testament and say, well, confession is necessary, but baptism is not. And so I would say that I've rejected a part of God's word and therefore I'm accountable for that. The third group is a hard group to be in because you have to be truly dedicated or you're lost. You are wayward maybe would be the better term to say. You have willingly decided to walk away from the creator and his path and what he has done for you perhaps for a number of reasons. Maybe it's because we've heard, I heard a lesson tonight about the church itself. Maybe you are sick of the hypocrisy that you sometimes see. And maybe it's not that you are, well, I don't want to be held accountable to a God, but you say, I'm not going to be held accountable to the hypocrites that are in this congregation. And so there, it is It is a can of worms to open up. But I do want to touch on this too, because I know that's not, you weren't saying this, but we have to be careful. Love is harsh sometimes. My wife loves me. And sometimes my wife can be the harshest person to me. Same with me to her, because we sometimes have to say to the other person, you need to stop living like that, or you have a, a what we would call a fight. And at the end of the day, we still love each other, but we're trying to get the best out of them. And so if I'm going to see somebody and I know them and I know what they're doing, and I would, I've stopped using even the terms atheist for some people. Like if you were not a believer in God, I just call you a Danielist, because in all reality, whether you're an atheist or not, it's all about serving yourself. You're going to serve what you think is right instead of what we find is right. 
And so you're looking at all of these things and it's not necessarily that you're a hateful and unloving person or that you're a terrible person. You just may not know any better or you may have chosen, ah, I don't want to do this. But when I fight with my wife, despite what happens and how it goes, at the end of the day, I still know she loves me and she still knows that I love her. When my doctor comes in and says, hey, you have cancer or you have this problem, if you don't stop, you're going to die. I know that even though he could be harsh with me, he loves me. He wants what's best for me. He may not assume anything about me, but he's going to give me the cold, hard truth. That's where Jude 22 and 23 really come into play. Some we save with compassion. There's people that that will work. Others you have to yell at. You save right. with fear. You're telling them, hey, you're heading toward fire, and if you don't stop, you're going to burn. And I don't want that for you, so back up. Don't do this. Don't be involved in this anymore. Trying to get the best out of an individual sometimes might require what we would call a stern talking to, but I think you have to know the people well enough to be able to do that. Right. Or you have to have studied, if you're going to talk about a group of people, you have to have studied the belief to a point where you are an authority on the subject. I can't just make a broad generalization. Yeah. And I think that's a good point to make. We have to make sure that while we're loving, we're firm but fair. Yeah. And I'm going to make sure that those three groups of people, those that are just unwittingly ignorant, they just don't know any better. Those who are, they've heard, but they've rejected either part of it or all of it, or those that are in the church that maybe they go back and forth between a saved and wayward mentality by the habitual sins that they may commit. Those are really the three categories when it comes to why we would push back to the notion of there being a most high being. Right. Well, you walk it back to the idea of uh, fairness in in understanding that that people have been misled. People don't sometimes understand uh, the things that we understand because we've studied these things for so long. But I think about Romans chapter 1 and Romans 2 and Romans 3. And Romans 1 verse 25 says that they exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And you get into in these chapters the rampant ungodliness of the Gentiles and you get into the rampant ungodliness of the Jews even. And then chapter 3, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 3, 23. At the end of the day, we need to remember as people who do know these things that, hey, we've been there too. And so all of us can relate with people who, whether or not they believe in God, quote unquote, they have lived ungodly lives it's in some form or fashion. And, right. and we can all relate to that. And, and that gives us all common ground so that when we find people who do not believe in God, we can say, hey, look, in, in all humility, I've been there. I've, I've made plenty of mistakes, but let me show you something that maybe you've never thought of before. Right. It's like Paul says in, in Titus 3, that we're supposed to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. And, and then he gives the motivation behind that. He says, because we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various, et cetera, et cetera. So because we were there, yep. at least in some sense, you know, right. we can find that sense of em empathy and yeah, there, love. there's common ground there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Absolutely. And, he, and he didn't shy away from calling the people that were known for their bad works either. So right. he, there is that balance there of yeah. don't just be mean to be mean. Right. You know, call the wolf the wolf when you know he's a wolf. But if you see a sheep, make sure it's a wolf before you start calling it a wolf. Right. You know, I can't just look at someone and go, no, I know all about you until I know all about them. Yep. And so I think that's the idea of what you said, kind of summing up that verse with a phrase we use a lot today. Love believes the best first. Yep. You know, we, we don't go right to the negative. We try to look at the positive and we're trying to see it from 
the other angle. Because well, we may have never been churched or unchurched like some right. people have been churched and unchurched. And therefore, it's harder for us to grasp that. Yep. Jesus said, you'll know them by their fruits. Yeah. And so, you know, at some point, we're going to know, hey, this guy, I'm, I'm casting my pearls before swine. I need to move on. But but others, you may find, hey, they will. You know, they're, they're willing to, to listen and to learn. So. I like what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13. As we love people, as we talk to people who maybe think differently than we do, he says that love is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. I think that's what we want to do in our in everything that we do, honestly, but yep. especially in including these interactions. All right, question number three. What does the creation of his church show us? What is what does God's creating his church show us about him? I would say read the book of Ephesians. It shows us his plan from, from before the foundation of the world. That's cheating. Your answer's cheating. No. <laughs> <laughs> Just read the Bible. Yeah. But uh but seriously, it's I in mean there somewhere. Yeah. His his plan before the foundation of the world to send his son, and his son was going to redeem us with, with the purchase price, which was his blood. All spiritual blessings are located in Christ, Ephesians 1, verse 3. And uh, where is that? That's in the church. When, when you are the saved, you're added to the church, Acts 2, verse 47. And uh, God receives his glory in the church, Ephesians 3, verse uh, 21. So th how does the church... How does the creation of the church show us God? Well, really, the church is everything. I mean, a lot of times people want to separate, they want to separate uh, being saved from the idea and the concept of the church. Well, the Bible teaches that if you are saved, you're in the church. And, and unfortunately, there's a lot of people who believe, I guess, kind of the idea of spiritual, but not religious. Give me Jesus, but don't give me the church. Don't give me religion. Well, I can I can see what they mean by that, and I can see why their pendulum has swung that far, if you will. But we cannot separate ourselves from the church. The church is extremely important. Jesus is the head of the church, and he purchased the church with his own blood. You know, I think my favorite might not be the best episode or best answer, but it is my favorite answer to I think both the first question and the third question is that what God's creating um, the universe says about him and what God's creating the church says about him is that God wants a relationship that that's why he created the universe he wanted us to be in communion with him and same thing with the church Paul calls us the bride of Christ in Ephesians yeah. 5 right he, he wants that intimacy with us and I love that it's to me it makes me feel you know really special <laughs> as a human and that God actually does yeah. want to know me yeah. and, and want me to know him. Little old us. Right. You know, what have we deserve, done to deserve that? Right. You know, right. nothing. Yeah. Well, Where Mike, oh, go well, I think we need to go ahead and move on. We're running out yeah. of time. Okay. Michael, if you will, go ahead and tell us yeah. a little bit about the sponsor for this month's episode. Yeah. This month's episode is sponsored by the Memphis School of Preaching. They were gracious enough to give us these Camelback water bottles. I finally got it right after so many episodes. And uh, we've been saying all season long that really all of our hosts are sponsored by the Memphis School of Preaching from the two years that they received an education by the instructors that work there 
we received a great education, a free education. And if you're interested in preaching the gospel, we'll put the information for MSOP down in the show notes. We're at this great event of Polishing the Pulpit, and that's one of the events that the, scu- the students get to attend as part of the package of being a student at MSOP. And so if you're interested in preaching, check out the show notes for more information about the school. And we're thankful to MSOP for sponsoring this month's episode. Last question for this episode. Bradley, kick us off. What does the creation of life show us about God? Well, it shows us that we are important to God. Uh, A lot of people go through life with this idea that who I am doesn't really matter. What I do is insignificant. Uh, But whenever you look at life and how God has given us a purpose, he's given us a plan, he's given us a goal, Uh, whatever word that means the same thing, throw it in there. And God has given us that plan. And that plan, that purpose, that goal is... I really need you to change goal to start with a P if we're going to... Pull. Oh, there it is. (laughs) There we go. Perfect. (laughs) But uh, all of those things is to go to heaven and to take as many people as we can with us. That's been God's uh, goal for us, for mankind, since the beginning of time. And so whenever you look at that, we are important to God. So important, in fact, that he gave his son to die for us. And then he wants us to live with him. Daniel, can I ask you a question? What does, <laughs> what does a, a uh, creator of a beautiful painting, a beautiful work of art, what does that work of art show about the artist? You know, I have to guess on this one because I'm terrible at art. Me too. But <laughs> I would say it says something about his character, about his personality. Yeah. It, it's Art is beautiful to us because in it, we see how other people express themselves. We see what they find beautiful about the world. Right. Yeah. And, and you, you think about the human body and, and the rest of creation, animals and uh, beautiful mountains and and skies and seas and and the stars and everything that God created, it's beautiful. And it shows us how how wonderful those things. Yeah. Hi, Michael. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Michael kind of ruins our argument. But but it it shows us, you know, the beauty of our creator. And, And why would, when you look at the beauty of the painting, if you will, of God's creation, why would you not want to worship him? I think of Psalm one, uh, Psalm nineteen, verse one: "The heavens declare the glory of God." And when David wrote that in the long ago, I, I like to imagine he was looking up and then wrote that down: "The heavens declare the glory of the God of God, and the firmament shows its handiwork." Why would you not want to worship Him? And and back in uh, Romans chapter one, I think it is, we're without excuse when we see the creation. We are without excuse. Uh, to say that there's no creator. There absolutely is. And, and I love to go to beautiful places, national parks, the Grand Canyon, and all kinds of places. And they're just gorgeous. And they show to me that there is a, a creator. Our cabin has a great view. Yes, it does. Uh, from the sanctity of life perspective, let me just cover that. Uh, in our cabin, there are a lot of children this year. A lot of us that are staying in the cabin have been blessed to have children. And when you think about the sanctity of life, what yeah, we, we have a find, that's right, also Bradley. Um, <laughs> when you find the sanctity of life, you don't see it necessarily recorded specifically in Genesis one and two that God has the sanctity of life as a concern. But Adam's created, and God makes him fully functional, 
instead of having created Adam as a little baby who would have needed a helper as far as a mother's concerned or someone to nurture and help him be raised, God created him to be fully functional. Had God created Adam as a baby, he still would have had to have created a full-grown person to take care of Adam. And so God said, we'll just skip that part and we'll create Adam as a full-grown person. And Adam was a full-grown man, but six seconds old, Adam is the exact same as a six-second-old baby. It's the same mentality, the same process. And God took every precaution to provide for Adam. He takes Adam, he places him in a garden. He says, Adam, you'll want for nothing. You don't have to work. You know, I've got everything provided for you. I've put you in the most safe place that you could possibly be in. And God even says, you need a helper? Here you go. Everything Adam could have possibly needed, God gave to him. And when we look at the sanctity of life, I find it, like I mentioned earlier in this episode, if God didn't care about his creation in mankind's perspective, number one, he wouldn't have made us in his image. He would have just created a whole new creation, something that was not a, a copy, if you will, of himself. You know, they say imitation is the most sincere form of flattery. We are an imitation of God, and yeah. therefore it was a flattery to God to create us that way. God looked yeah. at it and said, I am taking pleasure in making you in my image. It's something that I'm excited to do. And then God says, you need help. You need a place to live. You need things to eat. All of that's provided and yeah. taken care of by God. And how can I look at that and not realize that all lives on this earth that have lived, do live, or ever will live, they are precious to God. We often sang the song growing up, Jesus loves the little children of the world. He loves all the children. Not a single child's exempt from that. Not a single adult's exempt from that. Even the worst of the worst people that we could have talked about today on the podcast, God loves them. God wants them to be saved. He wants them to go to heaven. The sanctity of life, we need to do everything we can to preserve people and to take care of them, to give them a chance to hear the gospel, both in the womb and outside of the womb, to try to give people a chance to know more about God and his creation and what he's done for them. Yeah, there's de there's a definite hierarchy uh, in God's creation. You know, God takes pleasure in the physical side of his creation, you know, the, the rocks and the skies and the seas, and and he, he told man to have dominion over it, to take care of it, to be responsible with it. And then uh, Proverbs chapter 12, verse 10 talks about plant and animal life, uh, animal life specifically, the righteous uh, regards the life of his animal, his beast. And then ultimately the pen, penultimate of God's creation being mankind because we're created in God's image, yeah. Genesis 1, So everything that he created, God glories in it. And we're special at the top of his creation. And, and we should reflect that glory back to him as as the pinnacle of his creation. Red or yellow, black or white, we're precious in his sight, right? Amen. Yep. Well, thank yep. you so much for joining us for this episode of the Joint Podcast on the Scattered Abroad Network. We hope to see you again soon. Bye for now. Thank you so much for listening to this episode on the Scattered Abroad Network. We are grateful for your continued support as well as your continued prayers. If you would like to find out more about our network, please visit our website at scatteredabroad.org. We look forward to studying with you again soon. May God bless you.